and I'm Carrie. And welcome to Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 54, and our book is on tablets. Carcaridum's <laughs> Red Tithe by Robin McNiven. I like to hold up the book, unfortunately. Get my well, tablet. you know, mine looks cool. It looks like the old composition books back in the day. When it just holds, holds my Kindle. Actually, pretty cool looking. Yeah. Mm. Anyways, my cover suddenly feels lame. It is a story about a tithing, I guess you would say, gone wrong as two rival legions try to tithe the same planet. Bro, one of us has to go home. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via YouTube, Twitter, or Encrypted Box channel. Spoiler warning. If you haven't read, yet read this book, it's okay. We hadn't either. Welcome. I don't know that we can really spoil this book per se, but go ahead, check out the book, check out the questions, and then come back to this video or post as we're going to be talking about this from start to finish in pretty good detail here. Let's dive in. Should we uh, start with why we decided to read this book? Because this is an older book. This is an older book. And yes, that is actually a very good point. So um, <laughs> this is kind of the... I guess the intersection of two interesting events. One is the, the Black Library is not really like releasing a lot of new books right now, you may have noticed. Um, but also after reading Silent Hunters, we heard from a lot of people and we read around on the internet, on the intertubes, that there were some strong opinions about Eduardo Albert's uh, treatment of the Carcharodons versus Robbie McNivitz. I don't even think either of us had realized that the series was out there. So that was on us mm -hmm. and we both enjoyed Silent Hunters. I think I liked it a little bit better than you did, but we both really did enjoy it. So we decided let's go ahead and read some sharks. Originally, it was going to be our summer break book that we read while we were in Hawaii, but then Dark Imperium came out and we were not not reading Dark Imperium. Yep. I mean, Robbie Bobby does trump all. Pretty much. Sorry, guys. We don't make the rules. <laughs> no, we don't make the rules, guys. Them's the breaks. Okay. But he's a prey mark. Okay. Like, I feel like everybody understands. Like, you have to wait for Robbie Bobby that nobody's going to be like, oh, I don't know, maybe an Inquisitor somewhere would. Anyways, it actually ended up being a really, I think this is a cool opportunity that could present it to us. So, mm -hmm. bummed I missed it in paperback, actually, um, for a variety of reasons. But I'm glad we finally got to go through this one. So, let's dive in. Did you like the book? I did. I did, too. It was I, fun. Uh, it was really fun. It was good old-fashioned boulder porn. Yeah, I guess. I feel I feel as though people throw around the phrase boulder porn a lot. Um, and there's some books that they describe it, and I'm like, mm, there's actually a lot more going on there. This is not just straight-up boulder porn. Uh, and then there's other books where maybe it leans a little too heavily into boulder porn. I thought this was actually a pretty good presentation of it. Yeah, I didn't feel like it was over the top or too much. No. No, not too much. It doesn't... It had a point. It had characters that were interesting to follow. I was invested in a lot of their stories. Um, yeah, I thought this was bolter porn done right. Uh, it reminds me, and I think I made this comparison when we read um, the latest Uriel Ventress book, the name of which, Swords of Cal. It's kind of like a candy bar. Mm, yeah. Not super filling, but sweet, and who doesn't love a Kit Kat? Actually, I don't. All of Japan would like a word. 
I'm not eating one of their green tea Kit Kats. You can look at me all horrified if you want. I, sorry. It's a conversation for another day. We're coming back to this though. I'll be sure to send you some white chocolate Kit Kat then. Yeah, no. Mm. Yeah, they like that too. No, mm, no, I've had it. Anyways. <laughs> Ask us about our Kit Kat opinions on Patreon. Uh, so what parts of this book stood out to you? Uh, I have to open mine up. Pull up my notes. I was going to look in my notes. I guess... Well, I guess that guy has like some kind of questions about things. Um, just some comments that were made, especially like near the end. You know, like they would... Page 213. Oh, we actually we probably don't have the same numbering. Um, no. There was a line that says, trust in the void father and the shade lord. I'm like, okay, who's the shade lord? And then... That was their... That's the other word for their... Not their primark, <laughs> but their founder, I think. Which would be... I mean, as shade lord, I'm like, you mean the night haunter? That's something I can think of. And at one point, we'll back to that question. when uh, the Pale Nomad, I'm going to try to say his Polynesian name. Tekaharungi? Yeah, sure. The oh, Tekaharungi. The Pale Nomad, when he's talking to Shadwraith, when he said, um, you know, how did you, you know, how did it feel to escape the void I left you in? Like, what are you talking about there? Like, what history is out there? That, that I don't know but I think probably my most fascinating thing was kind of like the inner strife going on in the Night Lords because you have this young guy who's taken on the mantle of the Prince of Thorns and he's trying to be like I am leading this war band but he has the mentor Shadwraith who has done something as far as I understand is very not Night Lord and worshipping a demon and then you have Others below them are just like, we hate both of you. <laughs> We're going to kind of wait and see yes. who comes out on top or or what. But we're just, you know, we're going to kind of sit back here and take orders and then see what happens. So just that whole dynamic I found I, to be very interesting. I loved that. And I don't know if Robbie McNiven read ADB's Nightlord trilogies or if he just really knew the like, Night Lords and like really knew their feel. But this this book, The Night Lords, were my jam, you guys. Because, yes, it, it, they are exactly what they seem to be. They're a group of murderers and thieves, right? Who all have come together under this Legion banner. And, yeah, you've got the people who are super melodramatic, like the Prince of Thorns modeling himself after the Prince of Crows, right? Which so you actually see that in a lot of Night Lord stories, where because nobody has heard from the Prince of Crows for so long there's still the thing about is he dead is he not dead anyways who's the I, prince I of crows uh Sevitar. that would be the first captain okay and i um i am personally on team not dead but like you have that going on right and then yes you have these what these night lords who inevitably fall to worshiping chaos and the other guys are like mm, no and i think a big part of it is because they're like we're chaotic evil like we are just we're the people who want to watch the world burn we are not about allegiance to anyone and so well, they even say that 
Like, yes, and when, I love when, I love when he calls them out and he's like, you don't have our, the Primarch's foresight. That's the demon. I kind of low-key imagine the demon being like, he right. Well, yeah, I mean, the demon kind of was in a way. But, you know, when, you know, when Cole is, you know, cutting him down and, and saying, it's like, like the Night Lord, the Eighth Legion does not hold allegiance to the Corpse Emperor or to demons. We hold allegiance to ourselves. It's like, oh, that just kind of sums, you know, kind of what I always thought about them because I was always kind of interested in the Night Lords, not just because Jen always talks about how awesome they are, but because they are considered a traitor marine chapter or legion, but they didn't fall to chaos. They just just want to do their own thing, and that own thing is basically living the purge like it's every day. Pretty much. Because that's their jam, and that was their Primarch's wishes. And I... The other thing that I really liked was that he showcased... So one of the things I always really liked in the ADB books that they showed, and this has shown up in a couple other short stories too, was the concept of the raptors. And how the raptors have really, like, I guess mutated is the right word for it, but they've melded with their armor. So they really are this hybrid between a bird, bat, man thing, and they're carnivorous. And... They are really repugnant. And they are even amongst themselves. And he, I think Robbie McNiven did a wonderful job of showing this. They really are kind of like, there's the Night Lords. Like, there's the guys who are here to kill shit. And then there was the Sorcerer. And then there were the Raptors. And they were all kind of their own little islands, right? Under the banner of the Eighth Legion. And I really did like that in the end, with Cull, it was like... If y'all would have been on the same page, you could have won. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which kind of makes them fun. It's not like... It's not like frustrating. It's not like old school 80s villains, right? Where it's like, because oh, you couldn't get your shit together, right? Like, bad, lame, like, oh, we're foiled because of our inorganization. Like, these guys, it makes sense. They all have their own little motivations and their own politics. And- the reason why they don't win is because they're all busy they're making plays they're making their own plays mm-hmm. and it's almost like they just don't care so Shadrath definitely has so his goal is to kill the pale nomad mm-hmm. and bind his demon buddy to this to this uh psyker and call is just like i just want to kill some things and if you get it killed in the process because you want us to worship demons, I'm really cool with that. So it's uh, just because they all have just these different ideas. And if you think about it, like in a way, like their mission, well, the, only, the only Night Lord's mission who failed was Shadwraith's. Cole's mission was a success. The, right. rest, the rest of them was a success. So like, well, that about wraps it up for today. <laughs> We'll just catch you next time. Right? Cull basically falls down an open elevator shaft. But, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was actually a very Warhammer 40k ending for all of the players. Right? Like, it's kind of successful, kind of not, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But, yeah. well, I mean, they got their red ties. Kind Pretty of. Much. I mean, kind of. They got the leftovers. Right? They got, at least they got more, like, servants and support staff well and they did they get the psyker librarian. yeah they got a new librarian 
which is pretty awesome. I I don't know. Like I I thought it was I thought it was a pretty nice little package, all well and told. I do need to ask on Twitter. Um, so at one point, the dark twins Zeron and Teron show up, and all I could think about was the twins from GI Joe, Tomax and Zamot, and I was like, "Is it GI Joe reference?" Because that would make me very happy if it was. I can't answer that. <laughs> I need to know. Well, like, because he had Inquisitor Rosencats, and then he mentioned Gideos. <laughs> and I was reading it, and I was like, well, Rosencrantz and Gildenstein are dead, obviously. Are they? Still, yeah. I don't know. No, not in the book. Uh, well, okay. Theater nerd references the from Hamlet. And the Rosencrantz and Gildenstein are dead stage play from the 60s. Made me smile, um, but I thought he really captured the Night Lords really well overall. I thought it was fun. I they were creepy. I loved their stalking. Yeah, and that's like yeah. You know what? I've always said there's not a legion. There's no legion I dislike. Yeah, no, I found it. It's the Night Lords. I I can't. Nah. I'm not a. A, uh, I'm not down with the chaotic evil with the we're just going to watch the world burn type thing. I just I prefer my characters to have more motivation. You know, there's a reason why I don't read Batman. And it's mainly because I can't stand Joker. Because that's what Joker does. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Whatever he does. There is no Grandmaster plan. And every time DC tries to make him have a Grandmaster plan, like in Justice League, it becomes an awful story. Because that's just not what Joker is and does and that's fine like he's necessary in the batman universe in the same way that the night lords are necessary for this universe they're just not my cup of tea which and is totally fair which jen was just like oh, i didn't say i wanted to have tea with them and i was like the only the only legion i want to have tea with would be the ultramarines and that'd just be hysterical as they're trying to fumble with their cups because they'd be so polite they wouldn't I imagine they would it'd be like that scene in open range they'd be like trying to get their fingers in the cups and be like Trying yeah. to get the pinkies out just to delicately pick it up and take a sip. Yeah. Although um, I was like this many years old when I realized that this is apparently not the super formal. It's actually. Anyways. That shook me a little bit. I know pinkies. Pinkies always out, especially on your white claw. Uh, I also one of the things that I really liked about this book that. I think was done really well. At first I was like, where is this Inquisition story going? Okay, I and loved... You know, I didn't care if you never showed up. I still enjoyed every single one of those memos. Like, it got to the point where I would just, like, flip through just to read the thought of the day. Right. <laughs> and see how... Uh, how... Uh, um, demotivated <laughs> I could be for the day. <laughs> right. For me, I was like, where is this going? Like, I was also, like, in the memo of the day, and I was like, where is this going? And then when they revealed that they're like, yeah. So, basically, this was Cull's home world, right? Because they're like, yeah, there were all these colonists, and then, like, it died, and then we recolonized it. And the records look like they keep getting expunged every couple, like, 100 years, 200 years or so. And then he shows up, right? And he's like, oh, okay. So, there's traitor marines here, so we need to expunge the records on this place. And I was like... <laughs> 
How many mysteries does the Inquisition keep inadvertently creating for itself? Oh, who knows? Who knows? Oh <laughs> like, uh, when he said that, when he's like, so we need to clear the records of this place, I was like, oh, you. Yeah, you know, I oh, realize you. what he's saying. Never pieced right? together that maybe this is why I can't find any, like, the records are always clear after a couple hundred years, and just all we have noticed that everybody's gone, but we don't know why. And I just, again, and I know this is a conversation that you and I have really wrestled with in the past, which is, like, because the Inquisition has so much power and goes so unchecked, like, how much damage are they really doing? Because nobody questions them, right? And I feel like this book, it's just, like, it's one of the many arguments. Like, if I were to try to make a thesis statement for why the Inquisition is doing more harm than good, this would be one of my receipts. <laughs> like, it's just on one hand it's it's small it's just one so, planet right right but what really dawned on me more than that though was just like oh my god the inquisition doesn't even keep their own records of stuff that they clear or if they do they're so classified interrogators can't get to them which i'm also thinking that's a problem within the inquisition if they're right? not making notes about what records get expunged with like a little footnote for reasons why. You would think, cause like that's in the Caiaphas Cain books, his inquisitor girlfriend in the early ones, she's constantly like annotating his stories, right? Which is amazing. Um, but like, I would feel like they would, they would at least be like, well, the records have been expunged. Oh, it looks like an inquisitor did it. Say no more. But I don't know. Just a footnote, asterisk, traitor marines. Oh, right. Like okay. The Imperium. Oh, okay. Cool. Demons. Um, got it. You know, all all <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. But I just that was my first thought. I got to the end. And I was like, <laughs> asterisk. How many the Grey Knights were involved. Mm. Got it. Yes. <laughs> right. Um. How many wild goose chases of their own creation do they go down? It. Reminded me, there's okay. So the reason that this was such my jam is there was an well, old shit. Star Trek. Look at the Covenant series. Yes, I mean that's one of their own creation. Yes, but this reminded me of a Star Trek: The Next Generation episode. There's one I cannot remember the name of it. Life of me right now, but they meet this civilization that doesn't want to be met, and so I'm obviously telling the story now in reverse order. Because they wake up and they're like, it's been 24 hours, but we have evidence that 72 hours has passed, right? And they keep trying to pull this mystery, unpull this mystery, and then they finally discover that they had met the civilization that they promised we would erase any history of ever having met you. But Picard says, he's like, yeah, but you left us too many clues. And so we kept like trying to, it's one of my favorite episodes of all time. And this just like totally scratched that itch where I was like, <laughs> So some other Inquisitor's going to show up and be like, this is weird. Like, there's just too many clues here. We've got to unravel this. And then we'll eventually be like, mm. expunge the records. Just so another interrogator 200 years from now can be like, what the hell is going on here? Why do we have colonies and prisons that just disappear after every couple hundred years? Amazing. It's, it's a little, like, in some ways, it's a little nihilistic when <laughs> you think about it, but I loved it. So overall, and I know we had talked a little bit about this with the um, 
with Silent Hunters, but I feel like we really got to see more of the Karkaradans in this book. Do you like them as a loyalist chapter? They're okay. I mean, as far as the watered down chapters go, they actually have more personality than most. Like, they kind of have really their own culture and characterization, which is kind of fun and of its own. Even though I don't fully understand what they're about, what they're doing, they say they're they're all man they're almost like loyalist night lords you know they say that they're loyal to the emperor but are they really um are they just trying to survive out where they are or do they really do fight chaos when it comes down to it um it's just i just i just don't know what to think of them it's interesting it's interesting right because the two books that we've seen have been about this one is them just trying to get more people poor people of our supplies because life and they don't have a home we, world which is interesting they said it was destroyed they're exiled. they're exiled right so it's like you're which, exiled which makes it really hard right because like okay the black templars don't have a home world but we get the impression that they are much more they're much better equipped and they're much better supplied. And I really do like the scrappy underdogs who are constantly trying to fight for supplies and resources and stuff like that. Um, but it is a challenge, right? So it kind of makes you wonder between this book where it's just them trying to get more people. like To the point that they're like scraping prisons. Right. And, but like they save? Save? the planet kind of from the night lords but that was kind of like a happy accident um and then but like the other book is all about them just trying to hunt down this artifact that they lost and it's like how much could you be doing for the imperium if you would just let it go or if you weren't an exiled chapter well but isn't that wasn't that part of silent hunters though was that they were talking about we need to be a part of helping there's a rift i don't know if you've seen it that's out there we need, to, we need to stop chasing after this artifact and wasting resources and actually go and help. And, you know, maybe that's what people didn't like. Because with Robbie Mack's book here, they were very much, you know, very isolated, very exiled. Like, they said they were loyalists. But are they really, you know, uh, in that, yes, they, they hate chaos and they'll fight against, you know, traitor marines and, and all that. But they're still kind of out on their own. Own. like you said they're exiled right. what really can they be doing to help the bigger picture and then eduardo brought them in to be like oh no they're going to help against the rift what well, do people be like well how can they they've been exiled well you know when the rift opens things 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 change uh that's the only I, thing but that's but that's the because one comment i actually got from a reader because I commented, because they're like, they basically made some comment about us liking liking the book, and they just couldn't take it after reading Robbie Mac's books. And I was like, well, what was so different? What what was it? And they're like, well, if you saw how amazing the Carcharodons were in Robbie Mac's books, you can't stand what they've become in Silent Hunters. And I maybe and maybe it's because we just read one book. I'm not seeing that much of a difference. They it feels very much the same to yeah. me. And it feels like, like you see a little bit different of a Tekaharangi, right? Mm -hmm. And I actually kind of like that, like, so I'm sure that some people will be like, well, that Voidstone, like, never got mentioned. 
in this book. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of good, though. Like, that doesn't need to be his defining characteristic of life. Right. Right. Because he has other commitments. And you do, like, I would argue that that is not true. Because then you remember in Silent Hunters, they are, they're silent, but deadly. Anyways, they're vicious. You see that in here? They are vicious. And not... And we see this with the Ultramarines, we see this with the Dark Angels, we see this with every chapter we've ever seen. Not every warband or company or whatever they're calling them, they're not all the same. And depending on your leadership, you're doing different things. And depending on your mission, you're doing different things. These guys are there to hunt more bodies for their, like, right. to keep the mission and, running. And the Pale Nomad, the only reason why he came with them this time was because there was a psyker and he wanted right, the psyker. Right, the librarian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was it. Otherwise, he, he wouldn't have been there. But then it wouldn't have been half of a good story because then the Night Lords wouldn't have been that, wouldn't have been there and, you know, um, Shar would just come down and been like, we need your people. No. We need your people. Yes. <laughs> and scene. That, though, was interesting to me because I loved the scene. And I thought I had... I thought that I had highlighted the scene, but it looks like I didn't. Um, I like at the end when he's kind of explaining to Rennick, when he's like, okay, so we're taking our prisoners. And she's like, you can't. And he's like, no, those are the rules. This is part of our exile that we can come and call the people that we need to. And she's like, well, are you taking me? No, you're part of the Arbites. You are an Imperial citizen. We can't touch you. These people have given up their right. Right, so I liked the idea that there were rules, right? Everybody's right. got rules and codes, right? Mm -hmm. And that they don't violate those because I actually kind of assume I kind of wish they some of the other stories. I kind of wish they did take her I, because you only say that because nothing good is going to happen to her. Oh God, once no! The Inquisition shows up. No, well, I mean, I I'm pretty sure killed her. I'm pretty sure that she's either going to be dead or wish she was dead. Yeah, an interrogator has you. There's night lords. It's not going to end very well. You have something. I think it's gone, but you did have a little implantation in your mind. A chaos sorcerer definitely meddled with you a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it's not going to go well for you. So it actually, in some ways, it kind of seems like a cruelty. But that does remind me of one of the scenes I highlighted about them that I thought was interesting when she runs away from Tekaharangi and all that slaughter and she runs in to Tonga and he's like, and he's like, well, wait, were you helping them? And she's like, yes. And he says, why did you not see fit to die with them? Were they not worthy of you? And she's kind of like, uh, <laughs> and he's like, all right, you're coming with us. Uh, rejoice for an opportunity to absolve your recent failings has presented itself. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. It's like, Big sweethearts, aren't they? Well, I mean, it just, just shows, like, how far away they are from human thinking, you know, forgetting that humans, right. they get scared, especially, like, this sub-warden on a prison is not really used to gunfire, and she she watched a guy, like, eat another guy's throat, you know, it's just things you just don't... Not to mention what she saw with the Night Lords. She's had a rough day. 
Yeah, she probably regrets saying, I'll go up to the ship, but send me, send me. Well, that was a good idea. That was kind of funny, too, because that was very Warhammer 40k, too, right? Right. Like, be careful what you wish for. Exactly. <laughs> and I actually kind of liked that in this book, because I was kind of expecting, like, I feel like in a lot of books, she would have got up there, and then she would have become integral to helping the Astartes take back this ship, no. and then, you know, she would have had this grand adventure, and then eventually would have gone with them, right? But no, it doesn't. It doesn't always work out. There's, there's no Cinderella story for everyone. Sometimes no, there, you go up there and you were grossly unprepared for what's up there. All right, there is no Cinderella story for her. She was, but I thought she was very real, very, you know, very real, very, very human. scared. You mm -hmm. know, and like and when, understandably, right? I mean, when you know she's got, she's arguing with herself, like. How did I know about that? Why did I just now think about that tunnel? Like, really trying to sort it out with herself. Like, I don't understand this. Well, she's being manipulated by both of them, too. Because when she's like, I'm just helping my good friend Tekka Harangi. Wait a minute. How do I know his name? Did he even tell me his name? And then all of a sudden, she's like, I don't even know this person. Right. Which actually, she's that manipulated. Which, which that moment there, I couldn't tell whose nudging that was. That was, I think it was Tekka Harangis who's like, yep, come on, I need you to keep it together. But I could also see that because of what uh, Shadwraith said, he said, I implanted this idea to tell her masters. So I could also see that being his thing. She's like, I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm, I'm helping my good friends here. Even though she's like, wait, I mean, I don't, do I know these people? Like, why do I even know where this is? So as soon as, why like... Why did I just remember this? Right, so as soon as both of them kind of leave her mind, she's just like, where am I? This is not cool. Peace, I'm out. <laughs> well, you would imagine that that would be a very human reaction, right? I mean, like, uh, yeah. You constantly talk about fighters. She's flight, not right? an like, Astra Militarum. That's the thing. No. She's <laughs> you know? basically the police. Yeah. Right? She's not... I mean, what are you going to do? So, I feel as though this book, more than Silent Hunters, really dances around the whole, are we Night Lord descendants? Are we Raven Guard descendants? I didn't pick up, I didn't pick up anything about being Raven Guard. Nothing. Not even their, their chapter words being darkness there and nothing more. You know what? This, that just this went right over my head because they just, to me, just leaned so much into the Night Lords. So much. And I was I was totally with you. I was like, damn, he's basically saying they're Night Lords. But then when all of a sudden they're like darkness there and nothing more. And that's like what they kind of say. Whoa. Because we all know how subtle Games Workshop is. Like, let's be real. Corvus Corax says nevermore. Yes. Yes. When he leaves this tower. Because so we all like, like The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, don't we? Look, we all went through a goth phase. I did not. I feel like you need to stop being judgmental. I will be, because I did not go through the goth phase. <laughs> Arguably still in it. Um, I can't wait till someday, like, when my daughter's looking at, like, skulls and ravens, and she's like, ugh, that's old lady stuff, because my mom likes it. <laughs> It's gonna happen. That's um, funny. Yeah, it's totally gonna happen. But like, 
I like I was totally on board with it because they're basically like our lost brothers, which I kind of forget that all of these Adeptus Astartes kind of refer to each other as brothers, even if they're different chapters, right? But when he's like, these guys fight a lot like us. Having said that, I've really been leaning into that lately, like with the Horus Heresy, with the Raven Guard being like, we are, we're better than the Night Lords, right? Like we're not as evil and twisted as they are, even though we're basically the same dudes. I think I'm leaning more Raven Guard now. Hmm. But they were like the crazy Raven Guard who was like, maybe the Night Lords don't have it totally wrong. And that's why they got exiled. This is Corvus Corax was like, they have it totally wrong, dude. And he was like, but maybe not. Yeah, I just want to know who the Void Father is because they made it very clear that's not the Emperor. No, the Void Father is the Emperor. They That one, they made clear he is. What they don't make clear is the, sh- the Shade Lord think that's the person i don't know i honestly because they said the emperor and the void father in the same sentence and referred to it as two different people i don't know oh see i didn't think that he was referring to it as two different people because he says it i I thought i highlighted that scene because i also it stood out to me i thought i highlighted it i think it was when he was talking with rennick and he's like we serve the void father comma the emperor because like he has to realize that, like, oh, you people don't know who we're talking about. Because, like, you know how, like, the um, the Space Wolves call him the All-Father? Right. I well, don't see, know. Like, maybe around base humans, did they say? So like, that's do they what... clarify? No, they don't. Because uh, I've seen it in other books. Um, no, but, so, in Silent Hunters, I was with you on that. I was like, the Void Father's the, the Emperor. But then in this book, it made me think that maybe not. And, of course, you know, I don't uh, know... So- the forgotten right one is. Um, so when Tekaharagi's talking to Rannick, he says, you're a member of the Adeptus Terra, an active servant of the Void Father. Okay. So I think that kind of pulls it. But yeah, you're right. Like, there were times where they were using it, and I was like, no, okay, we're still talking about the Emperor. But I think it was partially just that they, they're not people, people. No, they're, they're not, and their culture is their culture is interesting in that they don't fully understand their own culture, which is why right. they say the forgotten one, because they don't know who that is. You know, uh, no, the Shade Lord, do they know who that is? I'm very curious who that Shade Lord is. Right, like, they know their own people. And it's interesting. You're right. And, like, I feel like Silent Hunters really le- leaned in more to, like, the Polynesian aspect, which I really liked. Um, but this one was pretty much just a brutal, bloody warrior, which I also liked. Because if you're an exiled chapter who doesn't even know the name of your founder, and you really don't know why you were exiled, other than, like, the Void Father has a plan. Um, it's hard to probably have a central culture, right? Like, it's hard probably to rally around, Mm. like... I always think about, and this was, I think, one of my favorite passages ever was in that second, yeah, the second Uriel Ventress book, where they meet the Mortifactors, and they're uh-huh. talking, and they're like, look, we're all products of our home world, right? Like, you grew up on Calf. You're a product of Calf, right? And how much that just bleeds in. What happens if you don't have a home world? And you're not the canon angry marines, the Black mm-hmm. Templars. So, like, it's, it is, it's a weird, weird area mm-hmm. to be in, right? 
Yeah, but I kind of liked how they really kind of really defined here the um, physical traits that make them like sharks. Uh, black eyes. The like black eyes. eyes. The black eyes freak me the fuck out. Man, that's one thing. Every time they describe their black lenses, I hear Robert Shaw. Black eyes, like doll's eyes. Actually, Every time. What I always think of is, is Finding Nemo. And the sharks sniff blood and suddenly those eyes go pitch black. It's like they stop they stop being cute. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I whenever they talk about Tyberos, I low key kind of picture him like Bruce. <laughs> Sorry, I just I can't like finding Nevo, you guys. If you would have asked me, like, what is, like, the greatest Pixar movie, I probably would have, like, tried to make an argument for something. But, like, Finding Nemo, if you've seen it, it so inseeps into your worldview of all things oceanic. Yeah, it does. It, it I pretty mean, much defines everything, if you've seen it. Like, well, I mean, because, I mean, it makes sense, though, that a great white shark would have an Australian accent. Because that's where obviously. they are. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I don't know what else they wouldn't. I mean, Australia is the land of things that wants to kill you. Well, and don't forget the lobsters with their Boston accents. It's wicked dark down there. <laughs> like, this all makes sense and tracks. It does. It actually does. Sequels. But yeah, whenever they talk about Lord oh. Tybros, the Red Wake, I just picture Bruce's smile. <laughs> all the those teeth. teeth. So I think I've already said that mouths are a trigger issue for me. Like, when people talk about people smiling too big or their jaws extending, it's a huge, fr freaks me the hell out. Sharpened teeth. Triggered. That, that that bothers me. Like I forget. Ooh. I think it was Cole because he actually has the iron teeth that's been sharpened. Like that hurt me physically on the inside. Yes, I cringe so much. Like when they talk about the when they talk about the guy eating out the throat and like the gore between his teeth. I was like, it's not okay. Like you guys have daggers. Like you couldn't just cut up a piece. <laughs> no. <laughs> Pull, pull out the tactical spork right. no like it's not okay um i mean because because like you know even in um uh the talent of horus when they come across the black templars they don't know black templars they crack the head open and they cut pieces to share like they're civilized and how they're eating this brain <laughs> to be fair though that's a thousand sun doing it like they're probably like if you had to like pick pick like the more civilized legions they're easily in the top five i would probably say they were the top the most civilized maybe yeah like it's because I'm, they're, I'm, they're I'm learned surprised you didn't have the tactical spork they're learned snobs i mean let, let's be pretty much let's be clear they're scholars yes they're scholar warriors not warrior scholars they're scholar warriors <laughs> Um, so I expect them to like fork and knife. Anyone have some? And they would use the continental fork and knife. But like, I don't know. That was so gross to me. And I could kind of understand like how that would freak somebody out. Like when she freaks out about it, I'm like, I'm with you, sister. Yeah, but uh, she <laughs> was warned. Scream, we're here to help. She was told, don't look. That is true, but. I mean, come on. It's like if I tell you, don't picture a chicken. Fuck. Exactly. You're picturing a chicken. 
<laughs> Don't look at the man eating the other person. Why did you go and look? Because she told me not to. So, given all of that, were the he could at least stepped in front of her to block right, the view. Right, like, no. I mean, he's, you know, eight feet tall. Like, at least, kind of, at least two feet taller than her. Like, you could just step right in front of her. I kind of felt like he was Willy Wonka in that moment. No, please, stop. Don't. Come no, stop. Come back. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you for your own good. Like, don't don't look. Because I used to date a guy who was 6'6", six, six, and he would play one-on-one basketball. Well, all he had to do was stand in front of the goal and just hold up his hand. That's all he had to do. Because it it was right over where the goal was. I couldn't. He knew I couldn't. I was too distracted, so I couldn't get it up and over because it's too much that way. Right. They could have done that. You know, just they could have like block the goal. Cared. They didn't really care. Like he didn't care. He's like I know they don't. They don't care. Haley needed. He cared as much as he needed her for things. Pretty much, and I'm sure like he did a quick calculation of will it kill her? No. Like when she ran away, he was like. Oh, well, it's fine. If she gets killed, you know, we, we're far You're enough. Done. Yeah. Right. But so given all of that, were the Night Lords an effective foil to the Karkaradans? I thought so. I thought they were, thought they were good opposites. You know, it's almost... Wonderful opposites. It's almost like... <laughs> I kind of felt, felt like the Night Lords were like the evil twins. You know, they all had the goatees. And they're all like... And in they the, had the mustache and the goatee. Yeah, and they're all in the split mirror. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty much. But I loved because we've seen already the Karkaradans. Like, remember from I keep thinking of that scene from Silent Hunters where they come out of the water and then they recede into the water. Yeah, that's not cool. Not at all. But they were very scary, very sneaky hunters. People didn't know they were there. Coming across the Lords of the Shadow tactics, right? But and I love the Night Lords, you guys. They seem so gaudy compared to the Karkaradons, because, like, the Karkaradons are so... And the Night Lords have those, that screaming of all their victims, which is canon. That's a thing that they do. Um, they record the screaming of all their victims and then play it? Yeah. Sure, they also, why not? They also use it as a distortion method. They're they're all about terror, terror. I did crack up when Cull is attacking Shar, and he's just like, why aren't you saying anything? Is there some stupid vow that you've taken to the Corpse Emperor? And then, um... Kaharangi pops up and he's just like even if he did talk he wouldn't be able you wouldn't be able to hear him over all your talking <laughs> like <laughs> well, that, you, you got a point it was such a fun foil right where like it actually made the night lords feel like despite being horrifying badasses and terrifying right felt kind of gaudy yeah and like, at the same time you know when uh, Kaharangi kind of sucked call down the others were just like well that's our signal <laughs> <laughs> and we're we didn't want to be here anyway so hey we're we're cool with this let's go <laughs> do you remember that scene at the end of uh batman returns when penguin is defeating or uh batman's defending pe- defeating penguin and he's looking around for all of his allies and they just kind of slowly start yeah. receding I imagine that being like Cole's guys where they're like, well, we're just gonna meld on out of here. But those weren't even his guys. Like, his guys all got killed. Right? Like, they're yeah. kind of his guys. Like, they were along for the ride. 
Right. Those guys that just wanted to kill for fun. Right. But then everybody else like, oh, well, so they're both dead. Awesome. Let's go. Right. And I do love when Vorfex is like, I'm in charge. Anyone has a problem with it? Challenge me later. (laughs) (laughs) But it's time for us to go. (laughs) Yeah, it is. We are Marines. We are leaving. It was such a fun scene. But I really, I liked them. I liked the idea that they basically have the same tactic book, but the Karkaradons are definitely the loyalists. They're impassionate. They're not, they're low-key enjoying it because they definitely have that bloodthirst to them, but they still have some restraint. I like how they, they they call it, you know, it's almost kind of reminded me of the blood angels with the red thirst because they would call it the blindness where they would just basically get into their, they would basically become animals. But like with the night, which the night lords are just like, uh, yeah, this is like what we do. This is fun. But they have to restrain because they're loyalists. Right. Right. And I, I just, I, yeah, it, it was such an interesting, like watching them back and forth. And it was fun because I really love the night lords. So this book really cemented the Carcharodons. They might low key be my favorite successor chapter now. Hmm. Like, well, who was your favorite successor chapter before? Um, oh, the Iron Snakes. Ah. Like, which, I just traded one aquatic themed, because they are themed after basically giant naga. And, um, now I've traded it for giant sharks. Like, apparently I've got a thing for oceanic predators, y'all. Well, I mean, you did live in Hawaii for some time, so... That's true, I guess. Maybe. I just like the water. Like, I was ha- I'm happiest in the ocean. So, uh, I don't know. I loved it. I thought it was just, it was like, this book cemented it. And the funny thing is, and we're going to talk more about this here. I, to me, this bolstered Silent Hunters to me. Where I was like, oh yeah, that's who these guys are. I dig their style. I dig them in general. To me, so like... To, to me, this like laid the foundation. Like, this is... Robbie Mack has laid the foundation for the Carcharodons. And Eduardo, I feel like, just took that foundation and just built upon it. Like, he didn't change anything. He didn't chisel it out. No. He went with it. And, well, as they said, like, one of the comments was something like, I think we saw it on Goodreads where they were like, oh, he retcons everything. The whole backstory that Robbie McNiven had. And I'm like, maybe that happens in the second book? Maybe. But the second book is about the Nids. Because I looked it up. It's not even like it's it's about the nids. So I don't know what he retcons. I love sharks, but I don't know if I'm ready to see sharks versus bugs. I don't know if I'm ready to let the nids back into my heart. Nobody wants the nids back in their heart. The whole concept of the gene stealers. I'm just saying there was like some really heartwarming comic. I think it was on Reddit the day about a gene stealer like the i can't think of the name of them the women who shave their heads were like the head priestesses for them having a baby and it looks just like the patriarch and the dad's like so happy it looks like you patriarch wow it's like a heartwarming comic where you're like there's this is none of this is okay i i'm not sure that i'm ready for more nids yet like i we od'd on them so hard but I am excited to read. I am excited to read that one and see. But like, I don't. I don't get it. I don't get where some of the animosity towards Silent Hunters is. Like where it's coming from. I mean, I guess the only answer to that is to read the second book. 
I guess so, yeah. Just just, um, just to see. Um, I mean, if, if you're one of those people, definitely sound off in the comments. Like, if you, But only if like, it's no, about no. the first book. Please don't. Yes, please. If, yeah, just, just say Unless like, it is in the second book, you can just say, like, it's in the second it's book. It's in the second book, which, totally which, which is fine. But, like, if he... If you believe Eduardo retcon something from the first book, like leave us a comment, tell us on Twitter, let us know because we personally didn't see it. But we're also we're also coming into this book like almost it's definitely ten years past. Yes? When did it release? Um, no, this one actually released much earlier than or much like more recently than I thought it did. I thought it was like uh, the early aughts. No, 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 no. This is like 2016 or something. Okay. Like that. Uh, okay. Well, all right. So, it. so we're at least we're at least five years too late. 2016. Okay. Five. Yeah. So we're nailed it. Yeah. So we're so we're we are five years too late. If there's something else, and I know that he also wrote a bunch of short stories with the Carcharodons as well, which I'm definitely gonna pick up for the Christmas holiday when we do a choose your own adventure reading. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. To add to my very thick backlist of with all of my spare time stories. with all of my spare time like like when I'm going to read the Night Lord's Omnibus and the Caiaphas Cain Omnibus all of my spare time you might just have to do Caiaphas Cain um, yeah I I want to read more I really do and maybe that's where it happens like it's like yeah well, if you read this one short story it really explains that if that is the case please let us know in the comments yeah tell us um, the short story i want to know i mean i would like to know but to me i was like yes more of these guys like to me it was you know what the best way that i can equivalate it would be to me it's like when you read nick kimes knights of mccrag and then you read the uriel ventress books same chapter slightly different points of view and different flavor and style right like they're the same chapter but nick kimes ultramarines are not exactly the same as graham mcneil's ultramarines they're very similar and they're you know they have a lot in common but there are different flavors because they're different authors well right? even kato sakari yes it is kato sakarius how he it's kato <laughs> I, Kato Sicarius. Uh, he, um, because how he is in the Ural Adventures books, he's an asshole. He yeah. is a complete asshole. Mm -hmm. um, he's a jerk to Tigarius, which is when I was like, I do not like this guy at all. And I know he's like the big champion, like everyone loves him. Like he's Except for text to speech. <laughs> where he's the heir apparent. Oh, I hate hilarious. Where, you know, he's the heir apparent to Marnius Calgar. And then, you know, when, when Reboot comes back and he basically takes. Kato as his pet. I was like, son of a bitch. But then you read Knights of Crag. You read Knights of Crag, and you're like, okay, so this is a moment where he does have some redeeming qualities. And I guess, you know, being lost in the warp for five years changes a person. Go figure. <laughs> right. But yeah, you're exactly right. Is that Nick Kime takes him on a, a, a journey of self discovery, hmm. for sure. Slightly different flavor though right and that's fine and that's good i think but I at the same personally time i like it i think it fits in within his character very well so i don't have a problem i'm not saying that nick kime is retconning anything that graham mcneil did i think that it can all fit yes and, and like you said with different companies so this is one company and 
that was, and then Silent Hunters had another that was kind of like a band of dead men walking in a way to try to find this lost artifact. Mm-hmm. It's going to be different. And I'm f- it's, and maybe I'm missing something. And maybe it's in the second book. Maybe it's in a short story. It could be. And I would love to know, too, because this also could just be a case of, and I have to say, if this is the case, if you're one of those people and this is the reason why, okay, I feel you. I struggle a lot with the Horus Heresy with the portrayals of Perturbo. I really like Graham McNeil's portrayal of him. The definitely mercurial, not the softest and warmest guy, but not a raging childish dick. And some authors and some short stories make him that. And I hate it. And I wouldn't say that they retcon it. It's just a very different feel and I don't like it. So if that's kind of what it is, like if you're just like, no, I like Robbie McNiven's flavor of them. And I just did not like Eduardo Alberts left a bad taste in my mouth. That's fair. But let's not use the word retcon. Totally understand. But I liked them both. I thought it was, I I guess that tells you there that like, I like, one of the things that I read once um, from a food critic was that if you like a bad version of a food, then you truly love that food. So like pizza, if you like garbage pizza, you truly love pizza. If you won't, then you don't truly love that. Right. So like, I feel like this kind of is the same thing. Like I love the Ultramarines. So pretty much anybody's portrayal of the Ultramarines, I'm like, yay. <laughs> I feel like I'm starting to love the Karkaridans a little bit. I was just trying to think of like, what successor chapter do I even like? And the answer is none. So this may be oh, like, my goodness, this may be like the only one I do like. Not even the Templars. Okay. And then the Angry Marines. Okay. So the reason why I would like the Templars is just because of Sigismund and, and only because of <laughs> when Abaddon returned. That was just so damn funny. <sighs> um. But, I mean, I guess, I mean, sure, the Black Templars, I mean, because they, we do know where they came from. They came from Sigismund, the first captain of the Imperial Fists. Sure, okay, but, I mean, I don't like, there's really no other Ultramarine second or third founding chapter I enjoy. Like, the Nova Marines, depressed much. Mortifactors, you guys are crazy. Um, Blood Angels, well, they all got kind of kilt, except for... I guess the angels resplendent that we're bringing back or the angels penitent, whatever they're called. And, uh, but the flesh terrors. Uh, so then we got the dark angels and all their sub chapters, which are slowly getting killed. (laughs) Killed (laughs) by them. Sort of, sort of, I mean, you know, I mean, maybe I would have liked the Knights of absolution. It depends what the chapter master does now. Right. Please, Phil Kelly, beseech you once again. Please write a sequel. We need a sequel. No, I need to know the thing. Yeah. So, yeah, this may be like really. I mean, the Black Templars, I feel like they're almost like a first. They're almost part of the first founding. Or, you know, like, as in, like, the legions. Right. Um, because who reads about the Imperial Fists anymore? <laughs> Not really. We've read. 
I okay recently, right? but before oh. like the rift, like there was there's maybe occasional short story or so, but most of the short stories, like in my anthologies, were not about the Imperial Fist, it's about the Black Templars. But as for like, you know, original subchapters, probably the Karakaridans might be the only ones that I like because they have just their own culture. It's just so different from they don't act like a watered down chapter. Right. And I think it's because that, they don't know who their founder is. That might help. Yeah. Might I kind of hope we never find out because it's one of those like the Dark Angels and like the Alpha Legion. It's just kind of fun to have that mystery. It is fun. I, I totally agree with you. I would actually be a little I would be a little low-key disappointed like if a story came out and they were like so it turns out it's this person. And I'm going to make a drinking game how often you say low-key. Sorry, it's been bad tonight. I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Breckenridge Brewery. Actually, I wish it was. But, or sorry, Distillery. This is Breckenridge Whiskey, not the beer. Different companies. We name everything by towns here in Colorado. We're clever people. Anyways, so here's something that I really want to talk about. And that is the overall objective of this book for both sides was to tie. They need more bodies. The Renegade Space Marine chapter is really no different than the Exiled Loyalist chapter at this point, right? They need supplies of people. They both need a Psyker boy for one reason or another, right? Was it a good objective? Like, was it compelling? And was it worth the cost? Well, I mean, the cost is prisoners, so... Uh... They lost the entirety of that Terminator company, the um, Carcaridans do. They lose all of the Red Brethren. That's a steep that is true. That, a that one librarian. That is true. But as Takarangi like, put it, though, he's like, finding librarians is hard enough as it is because they get shipped off to the black ships, which they don't have, but they don't have access to the black ships. So it's not like the other space marine chapters with the who if the black ships are like, you know, this guy may be a little more powerful than what we need to, you know, serve the emperor for his daily meal. So, you know, y'all can one of y'all could take him. Well, an exile chapter is not going to have that kind of an experience. So, I could totally no. understand them. Now, the night lords going after him, I thought was a weaker reason and that's just because of the whole demon thing. Um, but at the same time, with the Night Lords trying to all turning against one another, that kind of fits at the same time. It does kind of. When your whole <sighs> they were like arguably more complex, right? Because yeah. okay, Chadraith needs to go down there and take over this boy so that he could have his demon BFF walking with him. Okay. I need to stretch the raptors. Like, if we don't let the raptors kill some stuff, this is not going to go well for us. Like, we need to get them to stretch their talons. Also, this might be the perfect time for me to kill Shadraith. And we could get a Psyker. Not bad. We could mm -hmm. also get some more people. Like, there was a whole bunch of checkboxes for them. Like, lots of complicated emotions there. And motivations. And I thought that... That, at least, like, for them... I mean, it's... It's the Night Lords. It's always worth the cost for them. The Karkaridans, though, like, I... When I got to the end, I was like, damn, he better be an amazing Oh, yeah, librarian. I mean, because Char was mad. He's like, I only have 37 members of my company left. 
Yep. Is it what he said? Only three. He said only three are uninjured. I mean, (laughs) and they're mostly younger. He still has a ton of scouts. You lost all of the Terminators. Lost most of the scouts. That's and not only did you like I think maybe one or two Terminators made it out. I don't remember, but anyways, you lost most of your Terminators. But most importantly, you lost the guy. Like the oh, Kahu. Yeah, yeah. You lo- you lost him. That's gonna. That's not a voicemail to Robbie Bobby. That's gonna be an awkward voicemail to Tybros. So, so Red Wake, sir. <laughs> Mr. Redwake, sir. Hi, how are you? Um, funny story. And the problem with that is, too, because after reading Silent Hunters, I feel like that adds like an interesting layer to this, because you could be like, the good news is we got the librarian for Tekaharangi, yeah. but we know that Tekaharangi is kind of not high on the list right now. He is not on the Dean's list. What's going to be really interesting, though, is that we don't know if the boy survives the surgery. And that's the interesting thing, too, right? Is it's like, it's a crapshoot. Like, yes, you found this boy. He had his psychic awakening. He is untainted. We can use him. This is great. Assuming he survives. Because he was, like, half dead. Anyway, because you guys almost pretty much burnt him out. I felt so bad for this poor kid (laughs) the whole time. It's really hard to be a psyker in the 40k universe just because you missed that memo. Remember? Yeah, I felt so bad for this kid the entire time. Yes. Like, I don't know why he was in prison. He might have been in prison for being a witch. I don't know. Well, they said that his gang leader, like, ratted him out. Basically saw the opportunity. Yeah, basically saw the opportunity to be like, it wasn't me. That kid. Ganger is going to (laughs) gang. Survival of the fittest, right? Pretty much. These are not good people. And uh, I liked that. I thought that was kind of fun. But like, yeah, like, that's a horrible life, right? Start up, you go into gang, your gang leader father figure sells you out, you go to prison, people are trying to kill you. Prison is generally awful. Also, you're a minor. Awful. And then the night lords show up and try to sacrifice you to a demon. Awful. And then the Carcharodons show up and are like, guess what? You're going to become a space marine librarian now, which okay, look, not a cakewalk. Right. Well, he's going to wake up and not know his name. He's going to be Aleph some number. Exactly. Like, oh yeah, that person you were. <laughs> no. Although you might get some flashbacks later, some Vietnam flashbacks in the middle of battle. So have okay. fun with that. <laughs> I... I kind of liked that. So I really liked the movie Gladiator. And one of the scenes I loved is in the end when he's in the gladiatorial pit and he keeps feeling his hands running through the the waves of uh, wheat as mm. he's dying because he's going home to his family um, spiritually. Right. I did like that, especially with the scout at the end where he keeps like seeing he's on the sands. There's a woman near him, like his mother, right? I kind of liked that idea that it's like he's going to his happy place because he's done serving the emperor. But no, never mind. You still got a road to go, my friend. Yeah. No rest for the weary. No, none at all. And besides, they could just shove you into a dreadnought. 
Have they mentioned Karkarin and Dreadnoughts? I don't think so, but surely they have them. Not every chapter does. Oh. Some chapters... Well, they're missing out because that'd be the scariest damn thing ever. A shark dreadnought. It would be like Especially if he had a fin on top of his head. On top of the tank. You know, it's going through the water. It'd be kind of awesome. That'd be hysterical. I would put a fin on the dreadnought chassis. Um, But... I can't think of what it's called right now. Is it Megalodon? Yeah. yeah. So they would not have dreadnoughts. They'd have Megalodons. That's true. Yep. I was trying to think of that. That was, that was really hurting my head there for a bit. So you know, it was it was a terrible movie. So. Well, yes. That's one that has Jason Statham in it, isn't it? You know, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up after this podcast. Um, so in terms of boulder porn, like we've read quite a bit in the last couple years for this, right? Um, And I think, like, the last couple books we've read by Robbie McNiven probably fall into that category, too, right? We have The Last Hunt and Blood of Ajax. How did this... Like, this, to me, was much more enjoyable. It was definitely just straightforward, in-your-face. We're going to have a bunch of sneaky boys kill each other, and there's going to be lots of bloodshed, and nobody's going to feel happy about this ending. I mean... I, I enjoyed this book. Um, I mean, I enjoyed The Last Hunt. It was a good one. It was um, probably the only time I could see time travel was done right. Because they closed the loop. So it worked. Right. Um, there's not any of this alternate universe opens up. No, it was able to close. So it it, it worked really, really well. Right. Um, of course, I didn't like Blood of Ix except for the Oryx. We've, we've discussed that, you know, ad nauseum um there's another book so there's a novella he wrote that was actually very very good it was uh it was about the ultramarines and it had they oh. were they were fighting a uh, war band called the reds the crimson slaughter because they were even laughing about how subtle that was for a name i um, can't think of the name of that one but you're absolutely correct yeah it actually had the the great line of one of the guy one of the um imperial guard who actually was getting possessed by a demon because you could see it kind of like growing like on his arm and he looked down at the ultramarines and he commented on how stupid it was that the captains had the red helmets it's like little things like that like i really really enjoyed enjoyed that novella um so i'm glad i got to read something else of his that i really enjoyed that was just as fun yeah me too and i think like this one is like this would be one of those books again it's like a candy bar like, if you're just looking for something fun that yeah. is enjoyable and it's lots of action. And you know what? I think that's what it is. This is like the first book we've read in a very long time that is just enjoyable and doesn't have a bunch of lore bombs in it. It's true, actually. Or, nor does this one end, nor does this one end in a call to Robbie Bobby. This <sighs> does not dramatically change or shift uh, the Major dynamic. characters. Right. It doesn't open up a lot of questions. Uh, Silent Hunters didn't really either. Um, That's true. That is that is true. Other, other than knowing that that void glass is out there. Right. And that is kind of scary. Right. But yeah, like going back to the list of things that we read. Right. Um, we had the Swords of Kalth, which is very fun. But that definitely set up the whole thing with the Necrons and brought that back around. So that was like big events. Well, that in that sets... Uriel Ventress with what he's doing with the Ultramarines. Mm-hmm. 
And then before that, we had Penitent, we had Gate of Bones. Like, yeah, we've read a lot of books where it's like there's lots of stuff moving around and major things. It's really nice every now and then to just get in there and be like, wasn't that fun? Yes, it was. Yeah, I agree. So I really liked that one. I think our next book... I don't know, you guys. I don't know if this is going to be like that or not. But we are diving into Erdesh, the Serpent and the Saint, which... By my calculations, and I don't know if they've dated this one, but I'm guessing this takes place in the world probably somewhere along between like the 10th and 11th um, Gaunt's Ghost books, only because the the Anarch is still alive. Sek is still alive. Um, We really don't see that the Iron Snakes are involved in the war until like the 10th or 11th book. Mm. So I feel like that's where, but that's I'm excited for it because I really like the Iron Snakes. I really want to get back into the Sabbath worlds, but I'm also kind of like interesting. So I'm excited for it. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I think the title sounds like a romance novel. The Serpent and the Saint. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> and that's how I'm going to go into reading it. It's a love story. And that might make it 10 times more interesting as I read it. It's a love story like Deadpool is a family movie. Hey, it's possible. It is possible. I mean, uh, from Deadpool is a family movie from a certain point of view. Right? So I, yeah, I'm excited. But you, once you said that, I was like, oh, jeez. It feels, it sounds like something that would be in the Kushiel's Dart. Don't look it up. Uh, series. Some, some Harlequin romance. <laughs> Oh my god, some straight up bodice ripper. No, I feel like it would bodice definitely ripper. be in the- <laughs> I haven't heard that one. You haven't heard that one? No. Oh man. I am not a fan of the bodice rippers, but I know my way around some romance novels, y'all. Oh man, I'm gonna have to share that one with my mom since she loves romance novels. Or she used to, like way back in the day. Like she was the big right. Danielle Steele reader and stuff like that, so Oh, my grandmother loved Daniel Steele. I never got into Daniel. <laughs> That's what your grandmother read. That was her smut. Okay, you know what? The old stuff's not so bad. It's, it when, really it's when she got to, like, Stephen King level, was, like, writing a book a year. It was like, okay, you're, like, same, turning out the same story. Like, uh, that, that woman. She does, like, um, A is for Alibi. Sue Grafton. Ah, I remember those books, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, let's go on ahead and go talk about Danielle Steele. It's time to go. (laughs) That's like the new rule now. Danielle Steele comes out, it's time to go. So you've listened. Just cut off the cast. That's right. (laughs) It's our safe word. It's like the ducks come down. All right, so you've listened to Warhammer 40k Book Club episode regarding the Red Tithe by Robbie McNiven. Be sure to join us for our next book, Erdesh, The Serpent and the Saint by Matthew (laughs) Farrer. That's how we're pronouncing it as Farrer. We are an unofficial We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com 
slash WH40K Book Club. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40K books and short stories outside the book club books, so please stay a while and read from a crag. I'm still off Arius. Good night, everybody. Get you some chartreuse. It improves your real estate by 10%. Nailed it. It's a fact. It is. Good night. Zillow rating. <laughs> of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.